The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Well, it's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. The futures are edging lower with stocks coming off their best week since June. It's a different story for Bitcoin, Ether, and more as the crypto reckoning continues amid a downfall for FTX and its former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried. This morning, more outflows and investigations and cyber threats keeping pressure on that sector. Also, breaking this morning, President Biden and Xi Jinping holding their first face-to-face meeting since Biden took office. We'll have a live report from Bali in just a moment. Plus, a victory for Democrats over the weekend as the party maintains control of the Senate following last week's midterm elections. But it's a different story shaping up for the House. And later, we'll get more details on a multi-million dollar gift from Jeff Bezos to none other than Dolly Parton. This is Monday, November 14th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. And good Monday morning, everyone. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. Stock futures. You can see here the S&P 500 implied opening down 18 points. The Dow Jones Industrials is off by more than 100 points in the Nasdaq. Almost that much. The stocks, though, coming off a very strong week with the S&P posting its best weekly gain since June. The Nasdaq, its best week since March. On a sector basis, tech led that charge up more than 10 percent for the week. Its best week since April 2020. And you can see that energy right now is up 3% in early trading. Let's check the bond market now, where we're seeing yields on the 10-year up about uh, five basis points. Here you're seeing the five-year note up 4% and the yield on the 30-year up 4.08%. In energy right now, let's take a look at oil. And you can see that WTI is off by three-quarters of a percentage point, And Brent is down more than half a percent. We're seeing Bitcoin and Ether on the move as well after that really rough ride in crypto last week. Although you can see that Bitcoin up more than a percent now and Ether up 2.3 percent. Perhaps you've got some investors getting in when the uh, chips are down. Any gains this morning? Rather modest compared to the action last week, though, with Bitcoin and Ether posting their worst weeks since June. We'll have much more on that in just a moment. First... Let's get a check on that overnight trade in Asia and early action in Europe. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom. Juliana, set the scene for me. What's happening overseas? Contessa, good morning. Well, as for overnight trade in Asia, it was a mixed picture. Investors, of course, closely watching that summit taking place in Bali, as you mentioned. The Hong Kong market outperforming overnight, gaining about 1.7 percent. Muted action in mainland China with the Shanghai Composite down just 13 basis points. The underperformance of note came from Japan. Nikkei 225 trading about 1 percent lower. And a lot of that weakness came from SoftBank. Shares in SoftBank plunged overnight after the group's flagship tech-focused vision fund 
Poland reported a quarterly loss of 1.4 billion yen. That's almost $10 billion, its third consecutive quarterly loss. SoftBank shares had gained more than 40% since October, driven in large part by hopes of more share buybacks, which the group failed to announce today. Part of the reason that we are seeing this major pullback. Shares, though, still up double digits year to date. Moving on to European markets, uh, here's the picture for you. It's green across the board, a broad-based rally after the mammoth rally we saw at the end of last week, driven by that inflation report stateside and what it means for Fed policy moving forward. So European equity investors continuing to put money into the market. We've got the Zetradax up two-tenths of 8%, CAC 40 over in France up about two-tenths as well, and FTSE 100 outperforming somewhat up about four-tenths of 8%. Here in the UK, the event to watch, the budget that is due out on Thursday. The autumn statement, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will be delivering more insight into what we can expect from fiscal policy moving forward. Contessa, back over to you. All right, Juliana, that's a very wide worldwide look at the markets. Let's get to our top (laughs) story now and breaking news. President Biden holding a bilateral meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping ahead of the G20 summit in Bali. The two have spoken over the phone and via video conference five times in the past two years. But this, this is the first face-to-face meeting between the two leaders since President Biden took office. And look, there's a number of issues on the table, including trade, Taiwan, Ukraine, and Vladimir Putin. We'll bring you the latest as we get those headlines coming in from this bilateral summit. In politics, Democrats cemented control of the Senate this weekend with election wins in Arizona and Nevada. And in the House, Republicans are in the lead, but the final outcome of control hinges on a number of races still too close to call. NBC's Drew Pridamuyu joins me now from Washington. Drew? Well, good morning, Contessa. Democrats exceeded expectations, having their best midterm showing in 60 years. Republicans are hopeful they'll control the House once all the votes are tallied, but their relatively poor showing leaves the party with major questions moving forward. We had great candidates. Democrats are celebrating today. Over the weekend, key Senate races were called for Democratic candidates, meaning their party now controls the agenda in the Senate for the next two years. I feel good, and I'm looking forward to the next couple years. The tipping point came in Nevada with a batch of mail-in ballots that secured victory for Catherine Cortez Masto. So when far-right Republicans said they knew better, I knew we would prove them wrong. Right? And today we did. The victory is for Nevada and all of us. Cortez Masto, just one of the Democrats who beat a Republican opponent, backed by former President Donald Trump. In Arizona, Mark Kelly striking a tone of bipartisanship after his victory. I will always work to find common ground and deliver results that move Arizona forward. Some Republicans now questioning their party's future as Trump appears to be gearing up for another presidential run. Those who are most closely aligned with the former president did underperformed. Uh, those who are talking about the future, who have managed their states well, they overperformed. The American people want ideas, they want a future. Control of the House remains uncertain, with nearly two dozen races yet to be called. It took a great deal to get to where we are, and we'll just see. Still, the strong showing by Democrats is giving a boost to President Biden as he prepares to meet with Chinese leader Xi Jinping today, their first face to face meeting of the Biden presidency. Now, on the ad- On the agenda for this high-stakes meeting between the leaders of the U.S. and China, threats against Taiwan, North Korean missile launches, and the war in Ukraine. Reporting from Washington, I'm Drew Petromo, 
Contessa, back to you. Hey, so, Drew, the former president has said that he will have a very big announcement for tomorrow. Hearing anything about it? Yeah, so there's going to be a big announcement tomorrow at the president's resort in in Palm Beach, Florida, in Mar- at Mar-a-Lago. Look, there's some people in the Republican Party that are urging the president, the former president, to delay any decision about his intentions to run again until after this key Senate runoff in Georgia. But those closest to the president are making it pretty clear that he intends to announce his candidacy tomorrow. All right, Drew, we'll keep our eye on that. Thank you for the report. Appreciate it. Back on Wall Street, stocks coming off their best week since June. We're getting an attention-getting warning, though, from the International Monetary Fund. It reports the global economic outlook is even gloomier than it projected just last month because of persistently high and broad-based inflation, weak growth, momentum in China, and ongoing supply disruptions. The report highlights recent PPI data that indicates, quote, Ratings for a growing share of G20 countries have fallen from expansionary territory earlier this year to levels that signal contraction. Joining me now, Global X ETF's chief investment officer, John Mayer. It's good to talk to you today, John. You know, uh, it, it appears to me that when you have people looking at the domestic landscape and thinking, well, maybe this will be a soft landing, that you still have to keep an eye on what's happening around the globe. Where are you looking for opportunities as we head into this fresh week. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. And I do think that the U.S. relative to the rest of the world is in a stronger position. Obviously, we got the CPI numbers and they were better than expected. And the markets rallied in a big way last week, as you mentioned. Um, I do think that this is only one data point. And the market is really looking at, you know, where we are with with labor. So we do know that uh, commodity prices and supply chain problems in the U.S., have helped lower goods prices. But the labor market, that's something that's an area that's very sticky. And the Fed's going to have to see more data points before they're going to change course. We do think that they possibly could decelerate, but they're certainly not going to stop at this point until they have inflation under control. Again, one data point is not going to make them change their decision. That being said, we do think there's more strength in the U.S. relative to the rest of the world. And you are seeing that with a strong dollar in the U.S. And that leads us to believe that there are certain areas uh, that we should focus on where there's there's tailwinds. Like what? So some of the tailwinds that uh, we believe uh, makes, that are, are going to drive uh, performance over the next uh, quarter, several quarters are in the EV space, electric vehicles, and the ecosystem surrounding electric vehicles. Lithium, that's a price, uh, that is the element that used in batteries to create the power for electric vehicles, is in short demand. So we are in, we're constantly talking about lithium because we just think that is a great commodity to own at this point um, because of the shortages and the expected growth in the EV market over the next several years. Every market, you know, whether it be the U.S., China, or the Nordic countries, uh, they're increasing their sales, uh, auto sales of EVs, and that's going to continue going forward. And there's other areas related to climate that we think makes sense, uh, solar and wind. And it's all buttressed by the Inflation Reduction Act and the tremendous amount of spending that's occurring from that act over the next 10 years. Given the softer CPI, and and quite frankly, we got this warning from Fed Governor Waller saying there's still a long road to hoe. Is that changing the way you're seeing the assets you have under management? 
Well, when I think about managing portfolios, um, I think about including some risk assets like exposure to themes like electric vehicles, as well as cybersecurity, another area of tailwinds, to be included just as a portion of your overall portfolio. You have to manage risk. Um, Certain areas are more volatile than others. Growth momentum is certainly susceptible in this type of market. Uh, We do think, you know, you look at latest earnings reports and Tech companies are certainly impacted by higher interest rates. Um, So you have to use it in a moderated amount uh, in an overall portfolio, and different clients have different risk levels. Uh, So it really depends on the type of client. But over a long period of time, certain themes and exposures like lithium and battery technology, solar and wind, they're going to play out. They're just, they're certainties. You may not get that in the short run in terms of market return, but over a long period of time, you certainly do. And we operate in the ETF space. Yeah. So you're not just buying one company, you're buying several companies inside of an index. So that gives you the opportunity not to uh, be slotted into only picking one or two th- or three potential winners or losers. John Mayer, it's good to talk to you, uh, the CIO with um, uh, Global X ETFs. Thank you very much for joining us Thank on you. this Monday morning. When we come back, the latest on FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried and the crypto reckoning. It shows no sign of easing up. Plus, much more on Biden and Xi's face-to-face. A live report from Washington. We have our eye on Valley. That's coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Quarter past the hour now. Welcome back. A developing story this morning as we monitor the collapse and fallout of Sam Bankman-Fried and his now bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange FTX this morning. Other digital asset managers and exchanges from Binance to Crypto.com are racing to reassure clients their funds are safe. They vow they will publish proof to users that they hold sufficient reserves to match their liabilities. But look, we're coming off one of the worst weeks in months for Bitcoin and Ether. CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos joins us now. And Mackenzie, uh, it looks like morning after morning, there's another nail in the coffin for FTX. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning, uh, Contessa. It's been a rough weekend for the failed crypto exchange FTX. Within hours of FTX filing for bankruptcy on Friday, there was 
what appears to be a hack of the exchange. Blockchain analytics firm Elliptic found that $663 million in various tokens were drained from FTX's crypto wallets. Of that amount, $477 million was taken in the suspected theft, while the remainder is believed to have been moved into secure storage by FTX. Now, the new CEO of FTX says they're coordinating with law enforcement and regulators. He said that because of the breach, the exchange is removing trading and withdrawals on the platform and shifting its remaining digital assets to a cold wallet, meaning that it's going offline and won't be easily accessible. Meanwhile, both The Wall Street Journal and Reuters reporting this weekend that $10 billion in customer money was sent to Alameda Research, a trading firm also owned by FTX's former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, of that $10 billion, somewhere between $1 to $2 billion in customer money is missing, according to sources speaking to Reuters. So a lot of people are really concerned about whether they're ever going to see their money again. Gintessa? Oh. Well, there's a lot to be concerned about, and not just if you're a customer, but Sam Bankman-Fried is now out as CEO of FTX. He resigned. So there are reports he's speaking to police in Bahamas. What kind of legal trouble could he face? So Bankman-Free, the former FTX CEO, as you said, is under a lot of scrutiny right now. Bloomberg is reporting that he was interviewed by local police and regulators in the Bahamas on Saturday. They're citing a person familiar with the matter. Now, that said, inquiries don't automatically translate to charges or an arrest. But here in the U.S., the Securities and Exchange Commission is reportedly looking at whether Bankman-Free broke securities rules. Sources speaking to CNBC say the Department of Justice is probing whether customer funds were misappropriated. In Washington, the Biden White House and two powerful Democratic committee chairs have also publicly criticized FTX. So this is a huge fall from grace for Bankman-Fried, who was a frequent guest on Capitol Hill, also a donor to President Biden's campaign. And he put more than $30 million toward the midterms. And and a significant uh, philanthropist as well. And that has reportedly a lot of charities questioning whether they're going to be okay. But the episode with FTX is raising a lot of questions about how much trust now customers place in crypto exchanges. And again, we're hearing from the heads of these other crypto exchanges this morning trying to shore up confidence. Do they see this as an existential threat? So Crypto.com, their CEO weighed in this morning in an AMA to address concerns related to a $400 million transfer that it, quote, accidentally made to another exchange. A lot of concern was circulating about that over the weekend. The CEO said that Crypto.com took no risks, has always maintained one-to-one reserves, and added that an audited proof of those reserves would be published within weeks. Now, this comes after data shows that withdrawals at Crypto.com rose over the weekend and the exchange's native token is down around 40 percent in the last week. So there is a crisis of confidence there. Meanwhile, the CEO of Binance, which is the world's largest crypto exchange, told a gathering of G20 leaders in Bali that the industry needed new and clear regulations because of participants, quote, cutting corners. Binance is also setting up an industry recovery fund to help rebuild the sector. He's opened it up to co-investors. So they're trying to reassure investors that things will be okay. So wait, he's setting up a recovery fund, but isn't he the one who kind of sparked this whole crisis for crypto? Right. So just over a week ago, it was the Binance CEO saying that he was going to liquidate his entire stake of FTT. So that's the crypto token native to the FTX exchange. More than it was worth more than half a billion dollars at the time. That's really what 
set off this uh, panic. And that's why people began to withdraw uh, their like what they held mm. on FTX in mass. And it, it, that's kind of what led to the contagion effect that we saw over the last eight or nine days. Well, withdrawals aside, as you can see here, Ether's up more than three percent. We've see, we've got Bitcoin going up as well. So it appears that there is some optimism among some investors about the future of these cryptocurrencies. Mackenzie, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thanks, Contessa. Still on deck. Call it an in-house ad bailout. How Elon Musk is helping himself when it comes to the advertiser exodus on Twitter. Today's big number, $1.4 trillion. That's how much the federal deficit fell during the 2022 fiscal year, according to the Congressional Budget Office. That's a roughly 50% drop from the prior year. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. 23 minutes past the hour. Dow futures are lower. And let's get a check on some news this morning. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest for us. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Contessa. Good morning. Breaking overnight, students and faculty at the University of Virginia were advised to shelter in place after a shooting near a parking garage on the school's Charlottesville campus. According to the university, three people were killed and two were injured. The school has also canceled classes for the day. Police say they are looking for Christopher Darnell Jones in connection to the shooting. They urge anyone who sees him to call 911, but not to approach him. After months of war, Ukrainians were treated to scenes too few and far between. The joy of liberation. Back in March, Kherson in the south was one of the first Ukrainian cities occupied by Russia. But last week, Russian forces withdrew and Ukrainian forces moved in, greeted as liberators by their fellow countrymen. The Ukrainian military says Russia is now fortifying their positions outside of the city, setting the stage for future bloody battles. Still, it's seen as one of Vladimir Putin's biggest setbacks on the battlefield so far. Now to sports. A fierce Week 10 in the NFL ended out west in California. Between the 49ers and the Chargers, the Bolts struck first. Justin Herbert firing a dart to DeAndre Carter for the game's first score. L.A. would hold on to that lead until that point. Christian McCaffrey striking gold in the end zone with eight minutes left. The Niners hold on for the win, 22-16. to in Green Bay, you can call him C.D. Lambeau after the Cowboys receiver torched the Packers defense early for a pair of touchdowns. But Aaron Rodgers willed Green Bay back, forcing overtime with two scores in the fourth. Dallas had the ball first in OT. They could not score. Green Bay had the chance, and Mason Crosby did not miss the game winner. The Packers box up the Cowboys 31-28. to And in the game of the day, down by four, fourth and 18, everything on the line here, Justin Jefferson leaps and gets the catch of the year to keep Minnesota alive in Buffalo one-handed. Look at that. 
they needed it too. This one had a bizarre set of circumstances, but it would end up going to overtime. Buffalo had to score, but Josh Allen's third turnover of the game sealed it for Minnesota. Vikings win a nail-biter 33-30. Just a wild Sunday in the NFL. Contessa, Yeah, there was a lot of great football. Philip, thank you for that. Still on deck. Fresh comments from another Fed head throwing cold water on any hope the central bank's rate hikes could end soon. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Or maybe you just want to repeat. Why wouldn't you? We'll be right back. Stocks look to keep the rebound rolling, with the S&P 500 coming off its best week since June on cooling inflation data. Futures pointing to pressure to start the new trading week. The fallout over FTX's collapse continues with fresh questions around billions in missing money and a new hack hitting the embattled crypto platform. And President Biden and China's Xi Jinping holding their first face-to-face meeting ahead of the G20 summit amid growing tension between the two superpowers. This is Monday, November 14th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good Monday morning, everyone, and welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up, and we're seeing futures here in the red. The S&P uh, 500, just slightly, the Dow Jones Industrials implied opening down 72 points, and the NASDAQ implied opening off 67 points. Stocks coming off, though, a very strong week with the S&P posting its best weekly gain since June. The NASDAQ, its best week since March. Among the names leading the charge on the NASDAQ last week, DocuSign, Meta Platforms, and ASML Holdings, all up more than 20%. And on a sector basis, chips are seeing a huge pop. The SMH ETF up more than 15%, down this morning, though, in early trading off by a percent. But it was its best week since 2001. In the bond market now, we've got yields going up. The two-year up 43 You've got the 30-year up 4%, and right now the 10-year, the yield is 3.87%. Let's talk about oil right now and the energy markets. The WTI is off by a percent, and Brent is also off by more than a percent. Let's get a check on this morning's top stories, and Silvana Hanau joins us with those. Good morning, Silvana. Contessa, good morning. Well, new comments out from one head, one Fed head suggesting the central bank is far from done with its plan to hike rates to combat high inflation. Speaking at a conference in Australia yesterday, Governor Christopher Waller says while the Fed may consider slowing its rate of increases at its next meeting, that should not be seen as softening its commitment. Waller added that markets should now pay attention to the endpoint of rate increases, not the pace of each move saying the endpoint is likely still a ways off. Reported new job listings by Apple shedding some potential light on its ambitions for its long-rumored mixed-reality headset. According to Bloomberg, the listings in recent months suggest the company is looking to build a video service for the system featuring 3D content that can be played in virtual reality. And the report adds that one posting suggests Apple is working on its own virtual world similar to the metaverse. 
and Elon Musk's SpaceX buying a big advertising campaign on the newest member of his portfolio, SpaceX ordering one of the larger ad packages available on Twitter to promote its Starlink satellite service in Australia and Spain. A current and former Twitter employee says that type of package, which puts a brand on the very top of the main Twitter timeline, runs upwards of $250,000, Contessa. Silvana Hanau, thank you. You got it. Let's get back to this morning's top story and breaking news. President Biden and China Xi Jinping holding their first face-to-face meeting since President Biden took office in 2021. The bilat coming ahead of this week's G20 summit in Bali. And Kayla Tausche joins us now. Kayla, talk to me a little bit about what the president's hoping to accomplish. Well, certainly the White House has said it's expecting to set red lines for this relationship uh, where two leaders of the world's two largest economies are meeting for the first time that they've done so in five years. And as you mentioned, the first time during President Biden's term, it's being billed as a candid and comprehensive exchange of views. It began just last hour with President Biden saying he wanted the two countries to manage their differences and avoid anything even remotely near conflict and to keep the lines of communication open. For his part, President Xi, in prepared remarks, spoke of the responsibility of the two countries to, quote, properly handle their relationship and said a statesman like himself must know how to lead and how to get along with other countries. President Xi said the relationship must return to healthy and stable growth. The meeting comes against a backdrop of domestic strength for both leaders amid shifting global alliances, with senior U.S. officials acknowledging that Beijing has a certain level of discomfort about Russia's, quote, reckless pursuit of Ukraine. There are no expectations of deliverables and there will be no joint statement, but the communication itself will serve a critical purpose especially as Beijing severed other negotiations in the wake of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in August. Today's meeting is expected to last a couple of hours. We'll see what it actually entails. Contessa? So if they're not expecting any deliverables, Kayla, is this really more about establishing a personal relationship when you can look across a room and and feel the other person and have those conversations? Are they hoping that the deliverables will come later down the road? If not deliverables coming later down the road, at least averting a worst case scenario, setting what senior officials are calling a floor under the relationship. The last time these two leaders met in person was in 2017, and a lot has transpired since then. A global pandemic, uh, a war uh, on Europe's doorstep. Uh, Certainly there are a lot of things to discuss, a trade war to boot. And there hasn't necessarily been a step change by the Biden administration in shifting the U.S.'s posture toward China. Uh, But certainly there have been uh, behaviors by China, especially in the Indo-Pacific region, that the U.S. uh, takes uh, as uh, perhaps maybe signaling that there could be more aggressive uh, action later on that the U.S. Mm. wants to avoid. That is what the president wants to talk about here. And he wants to make sure that any of that, you know, possible any of those possible scenarios can be avoided. Kayla Tausche, thank you for that. For more on this meeting between Presidents Biden and Xi, let's bring in Anna Ashton, Director of China Corporate Affairs at Eurasia Group. Anna, thank you for joining us this morning. I'm just curious, from your perspective, uh, what can possibly be accomplished that would truly help, would boost American businesses? Thanks, Contessa. So, 
You know, I think that we have to face the reality that there's nothing that's going to be accomplished in this meeting in terms of deliverables that is going to immediately help American businesses. Uh, but the point of the meeting is really, as uh, as we were just talking about, to set a floor under the relationship. That indicates that the relationship's in a really bad place. It's been in a really bad place. Uh, setting a floor under the relationship is a good start for American businesses because we certainly can't improve the operating environment or the business climate or the ability to project five years, 10 years out in the future and, and make business plans without having a little bit more stability here. Are there risks to this meeting or is it all upside? There are, of course, risks to this meeting, but I think the fact that we're having the meeting is really important. Uh, I don't want to overstate the significance of the meeting in, in the sense of what it might actually accomplish. This really is about focusing on red lines and making sure that uh, we don't inadvertently end up in a conflict. However, you know, the two presidents haven't met in person at all since President Biden took office, that there hasn't been a meeting between a U.S. president and President Xi Jinping since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, other leaders have now met with Xi Jinping this year. So the fact that uh, we're having an in-person meeting is is very important for the bilateral relationship. Moreover, if the two leaders had gone to the G20 and not met, or if one had decided not to go, maybe in order to avoid a meeting, that would have signaled that we were on a much worse track. Taiwan seems like a very touchy subject and one that's likely to be handled with kid gloves, if at all. But I'm curious, there's other issues that I know are top of mind for the CEOs who manage multinational companies. Uh, tariffs, you've got the zero COVID infection policy that is just crushing so many businesses in China and leading to more supply chain issues. You've got issues about uh, Chinese access to U.S. technology. Do you think that there's going to be movement on any of those issues, if not now, following this bilateral meeting, in the near future? Uh, the near future, probably not. Uh, but, but I think the fact that there is this conversation indicates that we may be uh, in a moment where both leaders feel confident in their shoring up of their domestic support and uh, sort of have turned the page and may be ready to begin the process of getting back to the table on some of these issues. I wouldn't expect any of the trade issues to come first. Uh, the tariffs aren't going anywhere in the near term, probably not in the medium term either. Uh, but the technology issues are really sensitive ones that uh, certainly China is going to be anxious to see not escalate. I expect that they they probably will escalate. We've gotten signals from the Biden administration al already that there will be additional executive orders. However, how those how those executive orders are couched um, and what it means for businesses that want to be able to continue to trade with China and sell to China and really aren't making goods that are uh, that have a nexus with national security or that could help China to modernize its military is important. We want to be able to keep trade open for every lane possible. I'm just curious now that Xi has sort of cemented his power and control um, over the party and over the nation. Do you anticipate uh, a rolling back of the zero covid infection policy? And we're seeing so much back and forth in the headlines about this. We certainly are. And I think, you know, the short answer is that the 
that Beijing realizes that it's not a sustainable policy. But at the same time, there's not an easy off-ramp for Beijing. Mm. So we're seeing signals that they are setting the stage for some sort of gradual rollback. But it's it's not going to be all at once, and it is not going to be precipitous. It's not going to be immediate. Um, we will probably see this take place over the coming months. And, uh, and it will be rocky as it does take place, because as people get exposed, of course, there will be um, there will be spread of infection and yeah, there will be and, hospitals. And we're seeing that now already, the um, COVID exactly. outbreak worsening. Anna Ashton, thank you so much for lending your perspective and experience of the conversation. Thank you. Coming up, the latest on the collapse of FTX and the growing fears of contagion within the broader crypto system. First, as we head to break some of your top trending stories, Tesla CEO Elon Musk says he has too much work on his plate since his $44 billion takeover of Twitter. Musk told conference goers at the B20 summit in Indonesia he's working from morning till night, seven days a week, running his multiple companies. It's fueling investor concerns that Musk's Twitter preoccupation will cause Tesla to suffer. Dolly Parton receiving the Bezos Courage and Civility Award from Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Parton will get to use the $100 million prize to put toward the organizations or charities of her choice. Bezos applauding Parton for all she's done for kids, for literacy, and for so many other things. And the sequel to Marvel's Black Panther hauling in $180 million in its domestic box office debut, the highest November opening ever. The sequel's performance is a bright spot for Disney, which saw shares tumble last week on the back of weaker-than-expected fourth-quarter results. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. All right, let's get a check on the markets right now. And you're seeing futures down across the board in the red. S&P 500 coming off of its best week in a long time. But this morning, the implied opening suggesting it will open down 18 points. The big winners last week, Solar, T. Rowe Price, Dish, and Invesco. There you see, all up in a big way. Look at Solar Edge, up 32% last week. To the latest on the collapse of crypto exchange FTX, which filed for bankruptcy Friday, Reuters reports that FTX founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried secretly transferred $10 billion in customer funds to his trading company, Alameda Research. A large portion of that money, between $1 billion and $2 billion, has reportedly disappeared. Reuters says it was revealed in records that Bankman Freed shared with senior executives last Sunday. And sources say FTX's legal and finance teams learned Bankman Freed used what they described as a backdoor in the company's books, allowing him to alter records without alerting other people outsiders even. Bankman-Fried has denied this in a text message to Reuters. FTX is also probing a potential hack that happened late Friday. A crypto and analytics firm says more than $400 million in funds appears to be missing. Speaking today at the G20 summit in Bali, the CEO of Binance is calling for a new but stable, clear regulations in light of the FTX collapse and companies, quote, cutting corners. Let's discuss all of this now with Lawrence Lewitton, Managing Editor for Markets at Coindesk. Uh, Okay, so first of all, give me a sense of how much worse the news can get for not only for FTX, but for customers of FTX. Yeah, the the customers at FTX are apparently having problems getting getting money out, and they're going to be 
in, in the back of the line when it comes to getting, uh, getting their funds back, uh, ultimately when, when FTX finishes the bankruptcy proceedings, et cetera. So I, this, could, this could be a long time before any of the customers get what... Um, get what they put in. Well, well apparently FTX talk. was after, on the heels of the headlines about this potential hack. FTX was encouraging customers not to even try to get on the platform. But given what we saw last week with Bitcoin and Ether, and again, this morning we're seeing a bit of a, a reversal and, uh, you know, investors starting to dip their toes back in the water, but it just collapsed last week. Talk to me about the contagion. Well, the contagion it, it is very real. I mean, we're seeing other other platforms and there are questions about other platforms that have nothing to do with the FTX collapse. For instance, we had a, a situation with uh, Crypto.com where there was a fat finger mistake, allegedly, uh, where a few hundred million in Ether went from one account to another and then back and uh, some of it's missing. Uh, and this is this has been a consi- continual problem in crypto where you have these these mistakes and these these black swan events. And I said after a while, it becomes that crypto is becoming a flock of black swans and the white swan event is actually the rarity. It feels when you're covering this industry with a microscope. Do you anticipate that there will be a real freeze in the enthusiasm for cryptocurrency? Yeah, there was a lot of smart money, supposedly smart money, that went into FTX. FTX was supposed to be the the exception to the rule, if you will, that this was finally a smart guy who who amassed billions of dollars in assets uh, and was trading things above and beyond what everyone else knew. And ultimately what it showed was that the smart money wasn't as smart as we thought they were. They didn't do their due diligence. They didn't look at corporate governance. They didn't look at, at management. They, they just trusted a little too much. And, you know, the funny, the funny thing of crypto, of course, is don't trust. It's a trustless system. And here we are um, in a situation now where smart money and, and Wall Street and also retail investors who look at this and they're pounded constantly with bad headline after bad headline for years. We're, we're not going to see crypto winter. We might see a crypto ice age. So Crypto.com and Binance are among the companies that are now trying their best to reassure customers that they have the liquidity to back up their liability, that they're okay. Fat finger mistakes aside, I use air quotes around that if you're listening on the radio. Uh, But but at the same time, the guy who sort of started this drama with FTX, the CEO of, uh, of Binance, is now saying that he is supportive of stable regulation, predictable regulation. That not that a bit of a turnabout for him? Uh, uh, he, you know, he wasn't a big fan of uh, uh, some legislation that, that Sam Bankman-Fried was proposing that, or uh, supporting uh, because of, uh, in many effects, it, it's, it's regulation of DeFi, for instance, but I think ultimately what we're going to see is not just – well, first of all, I should say that a lot of centralized exchanges do like regulation. And we saw that with Coinbase and FTX before the, the collapse. They said, hey, will we regu- like this. Will regulation be on an accelerator now because of this meltdown? It depends on how Congress shapes, right? Because now we have uh, uh, questions about who's going to control Congress. The interesting thing, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried was a big donor to the Democrats – and he also educated a lot of the senators yeah. about crypto. A lot of these guys say, we learned more about crypto from Sam Bankman-Fried than from other people. And well, oops. Well, now look at that. Lawrence Lewitton, thank you so much thank for you. joining us. Appreciate that.
Okay, on deck. Pivotal Advisors, Tiffany McGee, lays out a busy trading week ahead and the moves you need to make with your money now. We will be right back. Five minutes till the top of the hour, eight minutes till the top of the hour. I can't see without my glasses on. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a busy week ahead with several key retail earnings reports on deck. And we're kicking off today with President Biden's bilateral meeting with President Xi at the G20 summit tomorrow. We'll get earnings from Walmart and Home Depot, as well as the October producer price index. Wednesday, we'll hear from Target, Lowe's, NVIDIA, and Cisco Systems, and get mortgage applications and home builder sentiment data. Thursday, another slew of earnings from the likes of Macy's, Kohl's, Gap, Applied Materials, Palo Alto Networks, and Alibaba. Also numbers on housing starts and building permits. And then Friday, let's close out the week with reports from JD.com and Foot Locker and Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes set to be sentenced on fraud and conspiracy charges for defrauding investors. Well, for more on the busy trading week ahead, let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO of Pivotal Advisors. She's also a CNBC contributor. It's great to see you today, Tiffany. We're starting the this, this Monday with futures in the red off of a softer than anticipated CPI report. Talk to me a little bit about how you're looking at the portfolio going into this week of November 14th. Yeah, so listen, you know, clearly it's been a really, really uh, crazy year. We've got this, you know, cr- uh, this crazy market downturn and everybody's feeling it across the board. And I think, you know, paying attention to, um, to kind of portfolio positioning going forward, we're going to be in this situation, even though we had softer than anticipated uh, inflation readings, we're going to be in this situation for a while, right? Because CPI, PCE, which is what the Fed looks um, pays attention to, is really a lagging indicator. And so it's going to take a while for, for, for things to kind of catch up and for them to see, kind of see that, that trend. Uh, so one of the things that I'm looking at like, you know, investors earlier on in the year it was more of like a buy the dip situation. That's not really going to get us through uh, the next, you know, four to six months and really into um, uh, a next year. So the question is, how do you make money right now? You know, and everybody knows about diversification, but diversification really isn't throwing as many assets into uh, the pot as possible and then, and then seeing what hits. It's really, you know, focusing on correlation and not on the number of, of, of holdings. So think about what is making money right now. And so for right now, um, you know, uh, there, there are a couple of things that, that, that are making money clearly some selective equities, but also kind of throwing a different asset class into the mix, like commodities, I think will serve investors well. All right. What kind of commodities are you looking at right now? Where are you advising your clients? Yeah. So again, keeping in line with that whole idea of uncorrelated assets, commodities really kind of bring down the risk in a portfolio on their own. They are, they, they are a bit more volatile, but when you kind of introduce them into a traditional kind of 60, 40 portfolio, uh, they have the ability to, to kind of, to kind of, um, you know, uh, de-risk that portfolio a little bit. And so one of the things I'm looking at, uh, is really commodities, uh, futures through ETFs. And so this is a very simple thing to, to, uh, to, to purchase, you know, low cost. Um, you can look at, uh, one of the corn ETFs. It's actually called corn, C-O-R-N. It's up over 25% year to date. Uh, also BCI, if you want to kind of do like a more broader commodities index, that's up over uh, 18%. And also wheat, um, it's literally spelled wheat, W-E-A-T, right? Uh, that's 
up over 24% year to date. So a good portfolio diversifier. Um, you don't have to spend time really learning the futures markets just by the ETFs. You mentioned the 60-40 portfolio. Isn't that under a lot of pressure right now? It is under so much pressure, right? So when you think about it, prior to, prior to uh, really um, this year, we were really in the longest bull market of all time, of course, taking, taking into consideration the pandemic. And so the 60-40 portfolio really worked, but it's under pressure right now. And so when you look at the traditional 60-40 portfolio back through last month, it's down 21% for the year. Um, that really hasn't happened since 2008. And so by the dip, it's not really a strategy. It's not going to cut it, like I said earlier, through yeah. 2020. 2023. Tiffany McGee, thank you so much for joining us on this Monday. And that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.